During Super Bowl 37, and I'm sure you don't know which one that was, but uh, FedEx ran a commercial during the Super Bowl that spoofed the movie Castaway. In Castaway, Tom H Hanks, who was a FedEx employee, a FedEx worker, he and his plane went down and it stranded him on a desert island alone for several years. Now in the commercial, the FedEx employee, who looks a lot like Tom Hanks in the movie, he's got the long hair, the long straggly beard, he goes up to the door of a suburban home, package in hand. And when the owner comes to the door, he explains that he survived five years on this deserted island, and during that time, he kept this package safe so it could be delivered if he ever got off the island. She gives a simple thank you. However, he's curious about what was in the package that he's been protecting all those years. He says, if I may ask, what was in the package after all? She opens him up and she opens it up and shows in the contents and says, oh, nothing really. It's just a satellite telephone, a global positioning device, a compass, a water purifier, and some seeds. <laughs> For the past several weeks, our main theme has been Christian survivor, cross out survivor, change it to victor, Christian victor, 21st century edition. How many times do we as Christians merely try to survive? Maybe, or worse yet, suffer defeat? When all the things that are necessary for our victory are at our, at our immediate disposal. As Christians, we already possess in Christ Jesus the complete package. Our package provides all the resources necessary, not only for our survival, but for our victory, for our spiritual growth. But we must open the package and take advantage of all those things that God has given to us. When we need direction, all we need to do is turn to God in prayer. Meditate on his word. Yield to his will. Ask him for directions. Purify our hearts and he will lead us and guide us on the proper path. And then along the way, he prompts us to plant our seeds so that our lives might bear fruit and bring him glory in all that we say and do. Sounds pretty simple until we remember that the castaway did not know what was in the package. I wonder how many Christians today don't know what's in the package, let alone how to use those resources and they fall into a lot of pitfalls along the way. They live defeated lives. They're often discouraged. They're often disheartened. In many cases, people are paralyzed in their Christian walk. Many give up on the Christian life altogether and choose the easiest path for the sake of convenience. Or they fall into a trap of living something other than the Christian life, mistakenly thinking, well, I'm okay, even though they live mediocre lives. Chuck Swindoll has often said, no one starts out determined to live a mediocre life. It just turns out that way. So this morning we're going to be mostly looking at the traps, the snares, the pitfalls on the paths of life. Those things that Christians fall into, those things that steal our victory or make our survival miserable, or they can even paralyze us in the Christian walk. Among other things, the Bible calls them the snares of the devil. Over 50 times in Scripture, we are warned about those traps that would ensnare us. It's a constant theme. Those things that would hold us captive. Those things that would prevent us from walking on the right path. Those things that prevent us from living the victorious Christian life as Christ has for us. 
And we find one of those warnings in Joshua chapter 1. So please turn to the book of Joshua again, the, the first chapter, and I want to call your attention to verse 7. It's on page 253 if you use the Bible in the racks. In Joshua chapter 1, before God's people enter into the land of promise and what he has for them, and before they begin the many battles that they are going to have to fight, the Lord is laying out before Joshua that which is necessary for victory, that which is necessary for success. And first God states it in verse 7 from the positive, do this, and then he states it from the negative, don't do this. Verse 7 of Joshua chapter 1, only be strong and very courageous, be careful to do, do this according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. There's the positive. Do this. Be careful to do this according to all the law. Then we have the negative. Do not. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so you may have success wherever you go. Joshua, if you want to be successful in this, don't do this. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Success, victory means staying on the right path and going in the right direction. Walking the straight and narrow way of the Lord. Don't get off track to the right or to the left. Now in Joshua's case, success meant really two things. First of all, success meant defeating the enemies of God that were occupying the land, defeating Joshua's enemies. It meant defeating those who were in the land and prevented the people of God from living in the land and enjoying all that God had for them and all that was promised. And that's really true for us as Christians today too, isn't it? Success means defeating the enemies of God who occupy the land where we live. In our case, there's three enemies of God. You know what they are. They are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Yeah, those are the enemies that must be defeated. Success in the Christian walk is constant spiritual warfare where the world, the flesh, and the devil do battle against us for our very souls. So success means defeating them. And secondly, success for Joshua meant entering into the promises of God, coming into that land of promise that was flowing with milk and honey. And likewise, success for us as Christians is entering to, into all that God has for us in Christ Jesus. It's claiming our inheritance as children of God. It's pro possessing and displaying, for example, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, who resides in our hearts. It's living in joy, love, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, faithfulness. We have a lot at our disposal. We have the knowledge that God has given us. He says, if anybody lacks wisdom, what? He gives it abundantly. And as we grow in Jesus Christ, we begin to not only think of ourselves, but begin to think of others. Our greatest joy becomes what we can do for others and, and give to others and how we can help them grow spiritually. And most of all, success means becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. We are transformed into his image. It's our spiritual formation as the Spirit of God transforms us into the very image of his Son. Now the problem is, that sounds like a great path. We, we know how to live that. We've got to defeat these enemies and we've got to enter into what God has for us. The problem is, on each side of every path, there's two ditches. There's a ditch on each side. And whether we turn to the right 
my left or your right, <laughs> the other left, whichever one we turn to, we fall into a ditch. And as long as we are in the ditch, the world, the flesh, and the devil have their way with us. And there is no success. I remember a pastor talking about one night when he left a meeting late at night in a place he wasn't very familiar with, and he had a few miles to drive in the dark on an unfamiliar road in the dark. And one of the guys at the meeting said to him, just as he was going out the door, he said, remember, for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. (laughs) I don't know if that was very helpful, but that's really a good thing to remember. For every mile of the Christian walk, there's two miles of ditch. One on each side that we can easily fall into or get knocked into. The Lord said to Joshua, do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. There's no such thing as success in the Christian life if we're trying to plod through one of the ditches. Now the two ditches to the left and to the right have been identified for us. We could call one legalism. And we could call the other licentiousness. Licentiousness, where we think we have license to live however we want and do whatever we want to. And that first ditch is is legalism. It's trying to plod through the ditch of legalism. And that comes from what I would like to call overcorrection. Overcorrection. You're driving down the road, think things, everything going pretty well, and all of a sudden you find yourself in the ditch. It could have been because you oversteered, you overcorrected to miss an obstacle or or something. You're going down the road, you spot an obstacle in the road, and you overcorrect. You steer too far to the right and you end up in the ditch because you or someone else caused you to overcorrect. When I was in high school, that happened when I was driving my dad's delivery van up at Cascade. We were on West Mountain Road up at Cascade, and my younger sister and, and my cousin were with me, and my cousin was about the same age as, as Vicky, so Vicky and Nancy were with me, and a, a car came around the corner on a curve on the wrong side of the road, and I stared to the right, and I overcorrected, and the shoulder gave way, and the van rolled. And to this day, I am convinced that my doing the right thing before we got to that corner at least saved us from serious injury, and it may have saved our lives. You see, the van, it was one of those panel vans, big things, English-looking. It was a metro van, and it didn't have any operable windows. There were no windows that opened. In fact, the only windows were in the the doors and the the front windshield. It just had two two sliding doors on each side, and you pull open the door, and it's that full length door, slide the other one, and open that up. So there are no openable windows. They just had those two sliding doors. It was a hot summer day, and my sister and my cousin were begging me to open up those doors so the air could blow into that hot van. So they could, but there were no seat belts, and I didn't want those doors open. And when the van turned over, it turned into the ravine, and of all things, there was a branch sticking out in the ravine, and the back side window, or the side window towards the back, landed right on that branch, and it didn't break the window. That was the only thing that kept us from going and going, rolling and rolling down, down the, the hill. 
And if that side door had been open, if I had let them open that side door, instead of all three of us crashing against that side door, we would have ended up under the van or what, I don't know. You know, it would have been really bad. You know, they'd been begging me, all going on that dirt road, please open the door, please open the door. And I said, no, we're, we're not going to do it. So we all crashed against the door. And after we crashed, I crawled up the seats because now the other sliding door was over my head and I had to get that door open so we could crawl out. And, and it was stuck. And I guess when you're in the ditch, you, you kind of do and say things you normally wouldn't say because later my sister Vicki said, that was the first time I ever heard Bill swear. <laughs> There's been a few other times when I've been in the ditch that some choice things have, have come out of my mouth. I remember playing soccer in Kansas City and I was playing goalkeeper in indoor soccer league. And just as I reached down and stopped the ball, this guy who was chasing the ball came, came up and he kicked at the ball and he hit my hand right there and broke my hand. And I just went down like a rock and all the players on my team thought I got hit in the gut or something because it just, it was so painful I went down. And as I got up, the guy who broke my hand reached out his hand to shake and he said, no hard feelings, huh? Just, just hard play. And... <laughs> I have no idea what I said to this day, but it wasn't appropriate from a player on Central Baptist Seminary's soccer team. <laughs> when we end up in the ditch, <laughs> who knows how that's going to go. But if anything describes the ditch of legalism, it's overcorrecting. And there's going to be other people who are interested in overcorrecting you. Getting they, you to live by their rules or their regulations, thinking they are correcting you. Or you overcorrect yourself and you end up in the ditch. As we've seen before, the legalistic Pharisees established their own self-styled standard of measure, things that they basically made up, and then they judged everybody else by their standard of measure, which Jesus said they couldn't even live up to, and they would be judged by it. In our analogy, they're down in the ditch, and they're throwing rocks at everybody that's going by. You don't live right. You don't do this right. You don't believe right. No, I listen to this guy on the radio, and he says this is what's right. You know, and they're dragging at your feet, trying to pull you down in the same stupid ditch that they're in. You know, a lot of professing Christians live in the ditch of legalism instead of walking in the path of what God has for them. And Satan is convinced that if he can get you down into the ditch of legalism, he can accomplish his wretched goals in your life. And you'll become discouraged, you'll become fearful, you'll want to give up, because a disarmed, discouraged believer who has fallen into the ditch of defeat, suffocated by guilt and shame, is no threat to Satan and his objectives. We need to be aware of the snares of the devil. He does not hesitate to use extreme tactics of warfare. Today we talk a lot about extremism and militantism and those kind of things. Satan is the master of extremism. And he uses tactics that are specifically designed to separate you from God and from his blessing, as well as separate you from the love and respect of fellow Christians and friends and family. Satan wants you to live in the ditch of legalism. And he will do whatever it takes to drag you down and knock you into it. I like the term overcorrecting because legalism constantly says, well, we know the correct way to live the Christian life. It's all about the externals. 
like political correctness, there's a doctrinal correctness where they think that everybody who doesn't believe exactly like they do is, is not right with God, and they're constantly correcting others. Legalism is a performance-based system where a person falsely believes they have to slug it out in the ditch and the flesh in order to improve themselves. It's their own self-righteousness. And the Apostle Paul called it a moronic way to live. He wrote to the Galatians, Are you so foolish, moros? Are you guys such morons that having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? The flesh doesn't perfect. Only the Spirit does. So legalism is primarily an attitude of pride. It's an attitude of pride that wants to control and manipulate others. It wants to control what other people believe and how they live. So God says to Joshua, do not turn to the right or to the left. And on the, the right side of the road is that of the path or the ditch of, of legalism. Then there's a ditch on the other side. We could call that licentiousness. Licentiousness. You know, if people are trying to operate according to the flesh in legalism, they're being conformed to the world in the, in the ditch of licentiousness. Licentiousness, which is lack of license, or has license rather, basically says, hey, I'm free in Christ. I don't have to live according to the laws or the ways of God. I can live any way I want to. I can live a, a worldly life. Instead of being transformed by the renewing of their minds, they are being conformed to the world. I like the way J.B. Phillips' translation says in Romans 8, do not let the world, or Romans 12 rather, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. You know, we're all being formed by something. We're all being transformed by something. Either the world is forming us or the Holy Spirit is, is forming us. One of the interesting things is, and I've seen this happen a lot, a person will escape the ditch of legalism. They grew up in a performance-based family that was all about externals and how things look in the family. Or they were bound up in a legalistic church and having found their freedom in Jesus Christ and being set free, they run clear across the road and jump into the ditch of licentiousness. Now I can do anything I want. I can live any way I want. I can believe what I want because Jesus loves me, what? Just the way I am. In response to this, the Apostle Paul asked, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. May genita in the Greek. He uses three negatives. No, no, never. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Well, that's the other ditch. Before we get back up on the path, of the right path, I want to mention how we can avoid the ditches of both legalism and licentiousness because the Bible is very clear on this. How do we avoid the ditches? It's this. The love of God keeps us out of the ditch of legalism. The fear of God keeps us out of the ditch of licentiousness. The fear of the Lord keeps us out of licentiousness. Now, legalism is the sin of pride, whereby a person thinks they can win God's favor by their self-effort, by their good works, in the flesh, they can better themselves, so they obey the laws, the regulations, the rules they make up for the purpose of trying to please God, gain favor with God, but mostly for the purpose so they look good to other people, so they can show that they're superior to others. But Jesus said in John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them is who? 
the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. Do you see how the motivation is completely different here? We obey Christ. We keep his commandments. Why? Because we love him. The love of God keeps us out of that other fleshly legalistic system. It's not because we're trying to impress him or impress ourselves or impress others. We do it because of our love for Jesus Christ. The love for Christ will keep us up on the right path and keep us from falling into the ditch of legalism. Simple hymn book theology. I will serve thee because I love thee. That's exactly right. To put it another way, John said, then you walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, and we have fellowship with him, and we have fellowship with one another. It is in the light where Jesus manifests or makes himself known to to us. He makes himself known to us because out of love for him, we obey him, and as we obey him out of our love, we walk in the light and we see more and more of Jesus. The love of God keeps us out of the ditch of legalism, keeps us on the right path. But it is the fear of God that we've been talking about for so many weeks now that keeps us out of the ditch of licentiousness. Turn to the book of Genesis for a moment. I just want to show you one verse, or not Genesis, but Exodus. There's my word thing again. It says Exodus right here, E-X-O-D-U-S, and I I speak Genesis. (laughs) Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. I want you to see one verse here. Page 88, if you use the Bible in the rack. In Exodus chapter 20, Moses has just given God's Ten Commandments to the people. There's been thunder, there's been lightning, the mountain was smoking. There were sounds of trumpets. Where do those come from? Well, from God. And the people are scared to death. And the people wanted Moses to speak to them because they were afraid if God spoke to them directly, They heard God's voice directly. They were had. They were dead. You know something? They were right. Because their stiff-necked hearts, God had to speak through through Moses. They were afraid that they were going to die. And so Moses says in verse 20 of Exodus chapter 20, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him may remain with you. Why? so that you may not sin, that the fear of him may remain with you so that you stay out of that ditch where you are are sinning. I remember the story of a well-known TV evangelist who went to prison. And uh, he went to prison. He was committed on mail fraud. And he'd also committed adultery. There was all kinds of other sins that he'd getting caught up with. It was just a horrible horrible mess. He at the time had the largest TV ministry on TV and he ended up in in prison. And uh, another preacher had the opportunity to visit him in prison. And in their conversation, he asked this TV evangelist in prison about his love for Christ, thinking that maybe like the Ephesians, he had left his first love, that he just didn't love Christ. And why would he do all these things? And the TV evangelist responded, Oh, I never stopped loving Jesus. I always loved him with all my heart. I've always loved him, even when I committed these sins. And the preacher was shocked. Why why could you do all these things and still say that you love Jesus? 
And he said, my love for Jesus was never the problem. The problem was I did not fear the Lord. I did not fear the Lord. So that the fear of him may remain with you that what? You may not sin. It's the fear of the Lord that keeps us out of the ditch of licentiousness and keeps us from sin. So now we come back to the path. We, we've avoided the ditch. We're back on, on the path. We're not bound by the ditch of legalism. We're not bound by the ditch of licentiousness. We're back on the path. Everything's great in the Christian life, right? Everything going smooth. We serve Christ because we love him. We do not sin because we fear him. Everything's good. Not at all. Because Satan has reserved his best stuff for those who are up on the path. Satan has his best snares up there. You know, how do I know that? Because you can be on the right path. You can be driving to church on a Sunday morning. And you can turn in the back seat and yell at your kids. And wonder where those words came from. <laughs> you can be perfectly in God's will. And then there's those things you go, I can't believe I said that. Or I can't believe I, I did this. Because Satan's best snares are up on the path. The path of the Christian walk, right in the middle of God's will, is littered by the snares of the devil. The Apostle Paul warned that when we are in the snares of the devil, we are held captive to do his will. So we can be on the right path and still be held captive by the snares of the devil, held captive by the one who seeks to destroy us so that we will not serve God or do his will. You know, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, need to know that the enemy of your soul will stop at nothing from, to prevent you from knowing God and living for Jesus Christ. He'll stop at nothing. And he does this by creating a major conflict across the course of your life. Satan is convinced that if he can accomplish his wretched goals, you'll become discouraged, maybe fearful, maybe you'll want to give up, because a disarmed, discouraged believer who has fallen into the, the dust of defeat, suffocated by guilt or shame or whatever it is, is no threat to him. We need to be aware, says the Bible, that Satan does not hesitate to use extreme tactics of warfare ones that are specifically designed to separate you from God and his blessings, defeated by your enemies and falling short of the promises of God. I like the way that Dr. Charles Stanley describes these kinds of snares. He calls them landmines. Landmines, that's a great description, a landmine. You know, so many times we think, and I think most people think, that, that the Satan uses obvious means to draw us off course. That, that's going to be pretty obvious. Well, that's Satan. That's what he's doing. However, the most devastating weapons of his warfare are just barely visible. They, lid, they lie hidden below the surface of our spiritual landscape. Yet when we move in their direction and they explode beneath us, they inflict deep heartache, they inflict sorrow and brokenness, and sometimes the injury seems beyond repair. But it never is when God is involved. Or it's like the IEDs in Iraq and Afghanistan. We're just going down the road, and when we get close enough, someone detonates this powerful bomb, and lives are changed forever. 
Some of us here have avoided or even escaped the ditch of legalism. Some of us have managed to stay out of the ditch of licentiousness or we've escaped from it. But really none of us can totally avoid or successfully navigate the minefield that Satan has for us. Dr. Stanley writes, by the time a landmine is uncovered, it's usually too late to get out of the way. When I think about this, I'm reminded why this weapon of warfare is so effective. Its stealthy appearance is sinister and deadly. Just as there are physical landmines placed along pathways and roadsides and out in the open fields, Satan strategically places landmines in the path of every believer. There's no such thing as a clear, straight path without landmines. Each day we face the threat of stepping on a spiritual landmine and suffering the sorrow and devastation that this brings. When we step on one of the enemy's landmines, the explosion that follows usually has an adverse effect on our relationships with God and with others, as well as our personal testimony. It also alters the way we operate in life. We miss out on the joy of experiencing God's richest blessings. We need to make a clear distinction between the landmines on a real battlefield and the ones that Satan plants along our way. They explode beneath us as a result of our fallen world. Others are landmines that the enemy strategically places with an expressed desire to inflict deep harm on us as believers. We, if we are not sensitive to the Lord's warning, we can get off course and confront destruction. This morning, we only have time to mention some of these landmines, some of these things that cause so much hurt and devastation and destruction and dissension, not only to those near us, not only to ourselves, but to those near us. And, and Charles Stanley, he lists a few, and I'm just going to have time to, to talk briefly about these today and just list them. He says there's the landmine of pride, pride. In pride, we can be consumed by our pride. Then there's the landmine of jealousy and envy, which Solomon said is severe as Sheol itself. Then there's the landmine of insecurity. And then the landmine of compromise. And the landmine of compromise tends to throw us into the ditch of licentiousness. Then he talks about the landmine of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Which I think leads to another thing we could call the IED of bitterness. Because bitterness is unforgiveness over time. Bitterness is unforgiveness over time. When the root of bitterness springs up, it causes trouble. And the writer of the Hebrews says many are defiled. It's an, it's an IED. Then there's a landmine of disappointment, which discourages us. The landmine of fear, which paralyzes us. The landmine of immorality, which renders us useful, useless in the kingdom of God. And then he talks about one that's interesting, the landmine of slothfulness. <laughs> that's going back to that mediocre life again, slothfulness. The problem is we don't see him coming. And all of a sudden they explode at our feet, and what do we do? You know, it's one thing to know what to do to avoid these. And that's part of understanding and following God's word. It's quite another thing to know what to do when something's exploded beneath your feet or ex exploded next <laughs> underneath the feet of the person right next to you. And you get caught in it. But there's where we have to finish this morning. But I want us to go back to Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. 
the seventh verse of Joshua chapter 1. The Lord says to Joshua, Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. Okay, Lord, Joshua would ask, how do we do that? What does that take? How do we keep from turning to the right and turning to the left? How do we successfully navigate the path that you have for us? Verse 8, this is how. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. How do we come to love God more and more and serve him out of our love for him? How do we come to fear God and obey him and keep from sin? We meditate on God's word. We love God. We meditate on his word. We fear God. We meditate on his word. How do we navigate the minefield of life? We meditate on God's word. And what do we do when it blows up in our faces? We meditate on God's word. So how do we do that? How do we meditate on God's word? And that's where we're going to have to leave it today. And we'll have to pick it up next time. Spend some serious time on what it means to meditate on the word of God. But I want to leave you with the first psalm. Psalm chapter 1. And this is also one of the psalms that you'll be meditating on this week in your study guide this week. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, his sha'ah, is in the law of the Lord. That's another of those neat words. The word delight there is the same word that is used in the millennial kingdom when the, the child plays by the den of the cobra. The child sha'ahs near that, that den. It's, it's got a playful aspect to it. But his playful delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he what? He meditates day and night. Then he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. We'll have to pick it up next time. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we've gone from two very distinct images this morning, from the desert island, somebody just trying to survive when all the resources are necessary for survival, and lack of water, lack of health, lack of food, the hot sun pouring down, difficult, difficult life. And then we come to the picture of a tree that is planted by the streams of living water. Its roots go down deep into that nourishment and that refreshment. And the leaves come out green and the fruit is abundant. Father, we want to live on that side. That's where we want to live. And we pray, Lord, that from your word, you will show us how you can fulfill not only our desire, but what you have for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.